0: Welcome to the Positive Health Project podcast, a place for positivity and hope to help you recover well from cancer. We explore evidence-based ways you can improve your health and well-being after a cancer diagnosis and share uplifting stories from cancer survivors. Here is your host, Hope Spencer. Hello and welcome to the Positive Health Project podcast. Again, thank you for joining me today and spending your time listening to this episode. I am your host, Hope, and I'm a cancer rehabilitation and lymphedema physiotherapist. And this podcast is all about helping people recover well from cancer. We explore how to improve all aspects of health and well-being after a cancer diagnosis and today we're going to be focusing on lymphedema. It is March and therefore it is Lymphedema Awareness Month so I thought that we might tackle some myths that are sticking around about lymphedema and help to either clarify or debunk some of those myths. So the first myth that we're going to look at is that if you have only had a sentinel lymph node biopsy, not an axillary node dissection, that you will not get lymphedema. So the rate of developing lymphedema after axillary lymph node dissection is reported to be at approximately 20 to 30%. Now, the surgical technique known as a sentinel node biopsy has a lower risk of developing lymphedema. Most reports say it's about 5% or less. So the sentinel nodes are the lymph nodes that fluid from the breast drains to first. It is thought that if cancer cells were to move from the breast, they would spread to these sentinel nodes first. Sentinel node biopsy is a technique that aims to identify and remove just the sentinel nodes and no others. Removing only the sentinel nodes can lessen the likelihood of complications, including lymphedema. Other components of cancer treatment, such as chemotherapy and radiation, are known risk factors for developing lymphedema, as the more trauma there is to the local lymphatic system, the higher the risk of developing lymphedema. This is why close monitoring, no matter how high or low the risk is for you, is important to catch any changes early. This monitoring can be done by a lymphedema therapist or even by yourself using a tape measure and taking several circumferential measures of the arm every few months or if you feel like something has changed. So to summarise that, the risk from a sentinel node biopsy is definitely less than if you've had a complete dissection or complete clearance done, but it is not zero. So it is still possible to develop lymphedema even without a complete clearance happening. So again, that's why it is so important to monitor yourself uh, to make sure you are catching anything early. So looking at the next myth, we're looking at getting your blood drawn or having your blood pressure taken on the side where your lymph nodes were removed and that that will cause lymphedema. So historically, guidelines for the avoidance of blood pressure measurements and blood tests in the affected arm after breast cancer surgery that involves lymph node excision have been based on anecdotal, theoretical and non-evidence-based recommendations. So if we look at blood pressure, while it is important for both patients and healthcare practitioners to be vigilant of the swelling in an at-risk arm, evidence-based studies do not demonstrate an increased risk of arm swelling or lymphedema in association with blood pressure measurements. It is not an invasive procedure, it is a very short and quick uh, procedure that is done, and this is unlikely to cause any lasting problems to the lymphatic system. Compression is usually and very regularly used in the treatment of lymphedema, so as long as the tourniquet isn't on the arm too long and isn't of a too high a pressure, then the risk is really quite low. Studies indicate that strict guidelines for the avoidance of uh, taking blood pressure on an affected arm after breast cancer surgery and lymph node removal may not be necessary. These guidelines may actually cause unnecessary burden and stress, making obtaining blood pressure measurements or any sort of medical procedures around that too stressful, unnecessarily stressful. If we then look at blood tests... Uh, we can talk about how the fact that a blood test is much more invasive than having your blood pressure taken. The skin is actually broken and there is a risk for infection. So it is this risk of infection and the impact that that might have if you were to get an infection on the lymphatic system that may actually cause some swelling or exacerbate lymphedema. So not actually the procedure itself, but the risk that that comes with with an infection. Now, these days that doesn't happen very regularly, but the risk, of course, is still there. So when reasonably possible, the goal is to avoid unnecessary trauma or stress to the side where the lymph node surgery was. And we want to avoid any infections, skin infections, any kind of infections to that affected arm, especially repeated um, episodes of infection, because that really increases the damage to the lymphatic system and increases the risk of fibrosis. So blood pressure and blood tests, if we have another arm that we can use, then it's best to use the other arm, but please do not stress if you need to have your blood pressure done or a blood test done or an IV put in on your affected arm, it is highly unlikely that that will cause anything. And if it does, then whether it was that test or whether it was something else, it is more than likely something would have triggered your lymphedema at some point. So try not to be too stressed about that situation. So the next myth we are going to look at is flying in an airplane after lymph node surgery will cause lymphedema. So currently, research seems to lean towards that there is no connection between air travel and lymphedema. In a 2010 study, they looked at the impact of air travel on the swelling of an at-risk arm of women treated for breast cancer. Women treated for breast cancer from Canada and from within Australia who were attending a Dragon Boat Regatta in Queensland participated in this study. The women were measured within two weeks prior to their flight upon arrival in Queensland and for 40 of the women travelling from Canada, they were measured again six weeks following return to Canada. Changes to extracellular fluid were measured using single frequency bioimpedance devices. And they found that for 95% of the women, air travel did not adversely affect or increase their fluid reading for both these short and long haul flyers. They concluded that air travel did not cause significant change in the fluid of the at-risk arm for majority of their breast cancer survivors and that further research is required to determine whether these findings are generalizable to the population of women who have been treated for breast cancer. So currently, the main factors that have been identified in the research that increase the risk of developing lymphedema are if you have a BMI that is greater than 25, which is in the overweight and obese categories, those who underwent um, an axillary lymph node dissection, those who have had radiation to the ax- axilla, and most significantly is those who have had an episode of cellulitis. It is recommended that people with those risk factors should be more closely monitored for changes in arm volume because of the significant association with arm volume increases. So currently it doesn't seem like flying... Uh, is what can cause lymphedema. The recommendations still though can vary and encourage people who are at risk or who do have lymphedema to wear a sleeve during their flight. But please don't stress if you don't have a sleeve and need to fly, it is highly unlikely that this is going to cause lymphedema for you. Okay, and the last myth we are going to look at is the myth that vigorous exercise will cause lymphedema and it should be avoided. So this is an older recommendation that has largely been disproven in the literature, and many guidelines and institutes now recommend that carefully controlled exercise is safe. It is safe for patients with lymphedema and patients who are at risk of lymphedema. The Powell trial is a very well-known study that was completed with women post-breast cancer treatment. The women completed weightlifting training for one year with three months of that being with an instructor and nine months on their own and they compared this with a group that did no exercise. It was found that the group that did no exercise develops lymphedema at a rate of 17% compared to the weightlifting group who develops lymphedema at a rate of 11%. When looking specifically at women who had greater than 5 lymph nodes removed, 7% develops lymphedema in the weightlifting group compared to 22% in the non-exercising group. They concluded that in breast cancer survivors at risk for lymphedema, a program of slowly progressive weightlifting compared with no exercise did not result in an increased incidence of lymphedema. So the guidelines say it's safe, but it is very important that if you are to be wanting to exercise and weight lift to make sure that it is um, low and slow, we want that approach uh, to make sure that we are not stressing the lymphatic system by getting that really bad muscle soreness that can happen when we're starting an exercise program for the first time. That muscle soreness is actually damage that is done at a micro level to the muscle, which causes inflammation and swelling, putting demand on our lymphatic system. So that's why we really want to do it in a supervised way, if possible, with um, an oncology exercise specialist. And we want to make sure that we are giving the body a bit of patience and time and slowly building as the muscles get stronger. So if we want to also look at certain occupations, and I often have patients asking me about um, you know, lifting children or, or not lifting anything heavy anymore there's a lot of fear around that. And I think that is highly unnecessary. Of course, I would never recommend a patient go do heavy lifting without any preparation, but I would never say you can't lift anything heavy ever again, because that's just not true. And so if anyone has an occupation that requires them to be physically active and to have some heavy lifting, then it's just something that we need to prepare the body for and to train for and that way that there is not an increased demand on the lymphatic system and we are able to safely get back to everything that you are wanting to do. It is also sometimes a good idea if possible to wear compression during exercise if you are comfortable doing so, but it's also not necessary as exercise and movement is great for the lymphatic system and gets things moving naturally. It's definitely a debunked myth that vigorous exercise can cause lymphedema. It is actually a very good thing for someone who is at risk of lymphedema or who has lymphedema. So there we go. There's me addressing some of the myths that are around lymphedema, whether you are at risk of lymphedema or you have lymphedema yourself. So hopefully that allays some of your fears and concerns around certain things like getting your blood pressure taken or needing blood taken from your at-risk arm, exercising and going on a flight. So the most important takeaway here is that it is really important for you to make sure that any broken skin is cleaned up and that it is looked after and monitored for any signs of infection, that you are always closely monitoring your swelling and making sure you get it addressed as soon as possible to make sure that you are exercising and you are a healthy body weight. They are so important for a healthy lymphatic system. And of course, always seek some professional advice from a certified lymphedema therapist if you have any concerns and any questions. I will put into the episode notes some of the research articles that I use to get my information from today. Thank you again so much for joining me today and I will see you next time for our next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Positive Health Project podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you wish to connect with us, please search for the Positive Health Project on social media. And if you have any questions, please reach out to us via our website. We hope you can join us for the next episode of the Positive Health Project podcast.